if you have your Bible, whoa, that is loud, Chris. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 5. If you're new or visiting um, or haven't been here in a little bit, we've been going through the Beatitudes for the last little bit here. Um, and uh, yeah, Chris, it's still really ringy. It's going to get really loud once I actually start talking like a normal person. Um, and then, I don't know if it's in the monitors, but you can probably take that out too. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And we've been doing this uh, for the last little bit. Um, but we're going to stand and read this together. But we're going to try to do something a little different today. I'm going to read the blessed are the whatevers. And then y'all are going to read the for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Cool? It's not that hard. So I will read blessed are the poor in spirit. And then you'll read for theirs is the kingdom of God. And then we'll go all the way through until the end. And then we'll read verse 12 together. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven. Cool? So if you would rise with me as we read God's word together. Let me read verses 1 through 2, and then I'll get to blessed are the poor, and then again, you'll finish. If you don't have your Bible, it's in, uh, in, on the screen. Uh, we'll go from there. So when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Blessed are you, and then read this together with me, when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for their reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Chris, are we good? Oh, wait, don't start it yet. And then the, the sound isn't on. You ruined my intro. Just kidding. Is the sound ready? I have, I have a couple of video clips for you, because um, I thought they'd be funny, but uh, I think we're ready. So check this first one out. So, jokes aside, right, um, I chose this video clip because I think it kind of describes a lot of, I think, what we think Christianity is like, right? Christians are dull, boring, rigid, and square. In this clip, Korean Christians and, uh, Korean and Christians don't obviously mix together, especially if they're boys, things of that nature. Christianity, I think, is understood with something, to be, something with all rules and zero fun, right? 
Christians and cool are antonyms. They're opposites. They're oxymorons. It's like jumbo shrimp. They don't fit in the same sentence. And it kind of makes sense, right? Being a Christian, a lot of us know that being Christian means that you wake up early and you come to church to pray. Not that cool, maybe. Or Jesus says things like, love your enemies. Living is Christ. Dying is gain. Following Jesus means to deny yourself and pick up a cross, and we all know what happens on crosses. Like these are not things that you would customarily say are cool or desirable in any way, shape, or form. And as we've been going through the attitudes, I think this is similar. When you read these right off the bat, they seem absolutely crazy to you, completely backwards. Everything but desirable. The kingdom of heaven is only for the poor. Mm. The ones who are mourning are the ones who have the kingdom being lived out of them. Mm. And today's beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they and they alone will inherit the land. Like, for real? Like Jesus. Doesn't meek mean weak, little, shy, pushovers? How in the world are the meek People who are like this, supposed to inherit anything, let alone the earth or the land. It's kind of like this video clip that uh, is from seven or eight years ago. You might know a little something about. So obviously that's just a clip, but you get the idea. If you Google nice guys finish last, it's amazing how many hits you'll get on different things of that nature. The idea is nice guys or guys who are kind and maybe gentle, or in this case meek, don't get the girls. That actually being nice gets you absolutely nothing in many ways. Nice guys, as they say, finish last. So then the question is, How is this beatitude a thing that we should want or think that is cool or indeed good, right? It's the quote that I uh, began this series with. It's from G.K. Chesterton. He says, the beatitudes upon first reading, they made no sense. But the second time I read them, nothing else made sense. At first, it'll seem completely backwards that the meek will indeed inherit the land. But as you learn, then you realize that there's nothing else and there's no other way indeed that this can be true. And the reason this is true is because we've noted, right, as we've noted, the Beatitudes are not natural human qualities that we all have. They're qualities that get produced in someone as the kingdom draws near, as we get closer to Jesus and we understand who Jesus is. You can't make them happen because you want them. You can't grow up or you can't wake up one day and say, I'm going to be meek today and then be meek. You can't say, I'm going to go and be poor today and be poor. And you can't even say, I'm going to go and be a peacemaker today and then all of a sudden be a peacemaker. The only way this happened is the gospel must break in in order for the beatitude to break out. Once the gospel breaks in, then the beatitude will break out. Get close to Jesus and we become poor in spirit. We, become, or we begin to mourn, and as we'll learn today, we become meek. 
Interestingly, the word meek or meekness is included in the fruit of the Spirit. I won't mess it up like I did last time. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, slash meekness, self-control, and so on. When Jesus gets a hold of us, we begin, we begin to become meek. Now the question then we gotta ask is why, right? And more so then is like, how can this possibly be anything that I would want to happen to me? Speaking to all the dudes in the room, this is not a thing that you wake up one day, my kids don't go and wake up to me in the morning and go, oh, I wanna be meek, God. I wanna be meek, Daddy. Actually, Connor came home the other day and he was almost crying because one of uh, his friends from school said that he was the strongest, his friend, and Connor was the weakest. We all want to be strong and mighty and flex our muscles and do all these things. But the kingdom breaks in and indeed it doesn't do its thing. Meekness. So why? How? So we're going to dig a little deeper and ask three questions. I'm still way too loud. You can just, like, can you bring it way down? Sorry. Three questions. What does meek even mean? Right? What is Jesus pointing to? The second, why is meek blessed? Why is it a thing that we should be after? And three, how, does, how do the meek inherit the earth? We're going to ask these three questions to see what this is all about. Because again, on the surface, it doesn't make any sense. So first questions. First questions. First question. What does meekness even mean? And this is the key to the beatitude because this word is... In English, anyway, the, the connotations and the meanings are a little confusing, and they, they don't, there's not a whole lot um, that we can go by off of this, right? But first, in order to understand what it means, I think we have to establish what it doesn't mean, okay? First of all, it does not mean what we think it normally ought to mean, okay? It doesn't mean no conviction. It doesn't mean no courage. It doesn't mean no spirit. It doesn't mean, not, it doesn't mean no drive. It doesn't mean no strength, no brains, or no backbone, And meekness, although that's what it may seem and other people may say that to you, is not the weak, the pushover, the doormats that everyone walks all over. It's not what meekness means. So if you think that's what meekness, gentleness, humbleness, or humility, all these words, synonyms, mean, then you need to reframe your mind because that's not what this means. Now, Someone asked, well, how do we know? Just because you tell us that that's not what meek means doesn't mean that we have to believe it, right? And the reason why we know that meekness, at least in in the Bible, does not mean this is because there's only two people in the entire Bible described explicitly as meek. Does anyone know who they are? One of them is real easy. Huh? Who said it? Did someone say Jesus? Did you say Jesus? You just didn't say it loud? Jesus is one of them. And the second one is who? Anyone? Huh? No, not John the Baptist. Moses. Numbers 12.3 says, the man Moses was very meek, more meek than any man. Moan? Any man who was on the face of the earth. Sorry for the typo. And Jesus in Matthew 11.29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek. Okay? And if Jesus and Moses alone are those explicitly called meek, In my opinion, it cannot mean blessed are the weak and wimpy pushover doormats of the world that people walk all over. So then what does meekness actually mean? And it's difficult because there's no one English, I think, meaning that does it justice. Now, in Jesus' time, back in the first century, uh, this word in the Greek was used to uh, describe domesticated animals, right? Like our pets at home. It was also used to refer to people who knew how to act with authorities, people who knew how to behave, right, and, 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 do, and act appropriately around people with authority, right? 
The philosopher Aristotle apparently thought that this quality, meekness, this word in Greek, was a quality, one of the highest and most desirable qualities that a human being could have. And the way that he thought of it was this. It's the balance between extreme and excessive anger on one hand and the inability to get angry on the other hand. Some of you are like this. Some of you cannot get angry no matter what you do. You can't get upset. You can't just, you just, you're just too nice of a person or you are conflict avoidant or whatever the case is. You can't get mad. So you just avoid, 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 avoid. And that's who you are. Others of you, like me, have a hot temper, a hot fuse, and you can't control yourself. Any one thing can make you snap. But this meekness is not either one. It's the balance between the two. Whereas a theologian once said, and I like this, always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. doesn't mean that you can't get angry. It just means that you need to know when. Now, as Korean people, generally for whatever reason, we're either on one end or the other. You're either the type that doesn't ever get mad and just suppress, suppress, eat, 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 and boils. Or you're the one with the shortest fuse and you just blow every single time you get a chance. I don't know what it is about us Koreans. We're either cold-blooded or hot-blooded, one or the other. But it's a tough one, right? Now, as helpful as this definition is, I think it's not the full picture. And to get the full picture, we need to go back to another passage in the Bible from Psalm 37. Because in Psalm 37 and 11, it says, but the meek will inherit the land. And most people believe that this is where Jesus got his phrase. The meek will inherit the land. And so we're going to look at Psalm 37 really quickly, right? Or maybe not so quickly, but we're going to look at Psalm 37 and deep dive, dive, deep dive into this word meek to figure out what it means. Because I think in it, you'll find um, a lot of truth and things that will help us. Now, let me give you a little bit of context before we go into Psalm 37. David is the writer, is the author of this psalm, and basically he's wrestling with a thing that I think many of you probably wrestle with in life. He's wrestling with the truth, the seeming truth that those who push each other around are assertive, commandeering, domineering, are powerful, and take whatever they can by force, that they always somehow, some way seem to win. You feel? That the world feels like it's a place where if you are dominating, if you are powerful, if you can take whatever you want by force, then it's indeed, that's where you go. From the movie, um, an Adam Sandler movie way back, oh, Big Daddy, or I can't remember, it's O'Doyle Rules. Bad movie reference, y'all didn't get it. It's where the big guys always win. The bullies at school always win. The rich can buy whatever they want and even buy themselves out of the consequences of their wrongdoings and sin. The pushy, the grabby, the domineering always seem to have more and always seem to win. But David knows, as we're going to see, and therefore asserts that the gentle and the meek are those who in the end win. They inherit the earth. Which is why then he says that meekness is a thing that we ought to want. And so we're going to look at Psalm 37 and just kind of go through them really quickly and some of these verses and then see indeed what meekness means. Now I want you to follow along and really think of what these things are for you, even in your own life. And whether this is true and indeed is good and indeed will get you the land, inherit the land. Verse 3, it says, the meek trust in Yahweh and do good. While many others in the world and often, you know, many others will seek to get away with evil and seemingly succeed, the meek say, we will bank on God and doing his will come what may. Others in the world will trust in themselves, their power, their ability to scheme, their apparent control that they have, but the meek know they can't trust themselves, they don't have much power or control, and therefore they trust in God. 
The meek are those who do the godly thing and then let the chips fall where they may. It's a tough one. Verse 4. David says, the meek delight in Yahweh. The meek have this special ability to be able to focus. Rather than focusing on the injustice, the slights, the hurts, and the pains, or where you're being taken advantage of, the meek, they, they focus on Yahweh and find their pleasure in Yahweh. My little one, Kara, when she's scared, right? Loud noises, scary things. She's scared of the most random things, so we don't really know what she's scared about, but she gets scared at the most random times. But when she's scared, the thing that she wants is she wants her daddy. And then what I do is I hold her real close and I put her nose right next to mine and I say, don't look anywhere else, just look right here. Focus on Appa. And we squeeze tight and in a matter of instant, her fears, they go. Because her focus go from the things that were driving her into fear into the one, me, at least for her, that she feels can drive her and deliver her from such fear. Reminds me of this quote from a theologian. It says, the gentle redirect their emotions, find their identity, security, and wholeness in a person, God, who is at the center and so therefore can live in the uncertainty of life around the circumference. Your life, no matter what, forever and ever, ask the older folks in here, will be uncertain, will have stresses, will have things that don't go your way. And if you focus on all the things that are going around you, then indeed you're going to be fearful you're going to be hurting, and you're going to want to do all these things to take advantage of it. But if you can focus at the person and the God and the relationship at the center, then all the fears around the outside, indeed, no longer are there. Verse 5, the meek commit to God and trust in God. That word to commit literally means to roll on like you would do like a pizza thing, right? To roll everything on to God. See, the meek are those when offended or when hurt or when pained. They roll their offenses, their wounded hearts and their egos and the one who is hurting them, offending them and wounding them to the Lord. That's a tough one. We generally, I think most of the time when we're being offended or hurt, we take our hurts, we take them to God and we take the ones who's hurting us and say, "Mm -mm, you know what? F that, you know what? That's what our heart says. But see, the meek, they know who they answer to. They know who is God and who is king. The meek know that both the offended and the offender are answerable to God. And so they say, I'll trust the Lord and continue to do it his way. And his way isn't always to stay quiet, but his way isn't always to be angry. His way is to know when to balance being angry or not being angry. So the meek, they roll everything onto God and do exactly as God would have them do. I imagine what the world would be like if the Christians in the world knew how to be so meek. Verse 7, the meek, they rest in Yahweh and wait patiently for him. One of the things that I hated when I was growing up was this idea of waiting. I didn't want to wait for anything. I wanted to pray and get it right away. And if I didn't get it right away, I was angry and I would say, God's not answering me. So that would give up. This waiting patiently thing is all throughout scripture. But to be sure, waiting isn't this like passive, like complacent, lazy, like, okay, fine, I'll just sit here, God, and just wait for you. That's not what it is. 
Waiting, right? And the picture of waiting most often used in scripture is that of an eagle on a perch. If you're like my son, Mason, he loves National Geographic videos and he loves nature. And he'll know that an eagle on a perch will have his claws and talons or whatever like on the thing. And if you're from afar, it looks like the eagle is like dead and not moving. But if you zoom in real close and get real close, you'll see his legs actually twitching like the entire time. And you'll see his, his wings just, just flicking like ever so slightly to measure the wind that's around. And when it's the moment to jump and to fly, the eagle has already tested the wind, already knows what's going on, the conditions or whatever it is that it takes to fly, right? And in an instant, effortlessly just glides. That's what waiting is like. It's like a lion in the, in the low grass or the high grass ready to pounce, seemingly not moving, but always ready. See, waiting patiently requires great concentration and readiness and alertness. It's waiting with expectation and anticipation, waiting for God to move and then to spring into action right at the moment God says go. And then verse 1, the meek do not fret because of evildoers. It literally means they don't get heated, or the English saying, they don't get hot under the collar. I don't know if you've ever heard that. It's this idea that the meek do not get worked up about a lot. And for all those hotheads in here like me, we all know how much self-control it takes to not get worked up, don't we? Now we're talking real strength and self-control. Like if you think about the things that happen in your life, and you think about the people who wrong you and all these kind of things... Ask yourself, how much time do we waste stewing and, and just like bubbling and boiling over with all of this anger and this frustration, all these things, right? How much, how much energy do we waste like pacing around, right? Thinking about what people say or don't say, what they do or they don't do, right? But the meek, they do it differently. They offer all of their emotions to God, and God then manages all of them in the most winsome and loving way possible. This, in my opinion, is real strength, to be able to offer your emotions and your hurts and your pains and everything to God and say, God, you take care of them. You manage them. I don't want to have a short fuse. See, meekness doesn't mean that you can't have emotions. It just means that you're able to offer them to God and then know how best to react. Verse 27, we're almost done. The meek then depart from evil and do good. Or better, in the face of evil, they do good. And this might be the greatest insight that I think Paul gives to us, or sorry, not Paul, David gives to us in Psalm 37. Our world and the world around us will teach you that when evil comes, you fight it with more evil. When someone comes guns blazing, sorry to use this uh, thing, it's just a war image, you go with bigger guns. You fight evil with evil. Hate for hate, tick for tack. But I hope you know this is literally, in my opinion, the definition of utter weakness. There's no power in that. See, responding to evil with evil is easy. Anybody can do that. Anybody literally can do that. Any two-year-old can get smacked upside the head in preschool because one kid is being naughty and then just smack that person back. That's easy. That's not hard. That doesn't cause restraint. But if you see a little kid who maybe got pushed or hurt and they don't do anything, then you're like, whoa. 
Or if he saw a little kid who got pushed or hurt, and rather than going back and pushing him back, got up and maybe had the audacity to give that person a hug or even pray for that person, you'd be like, whoa. In our home, we teach our kids that if somebody's hurting and somebody's acting inappropriate or not doing those things, the first thing we do is we pray, and the second thing we do is we try to love them as best as possible because something is not right with them. To love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, as Jesus says, that is real strength. And the only reason you do that is because you know in your heart that you don't need to do anything because God will take care of whatever it is. It's not your job to get vengeance. It's God's. God is the just God who will indeed do his thing. It's not yours to do. So you trust God and know that God knows what's best. This is real strength. It's not being tossed around by the fads and all the different things of the world and getting tossed back and forth with every little thing, but indeed being rooted in who God is and knowing that he is forever and everything else is just temporary. You should know, evil only perpetuates more evil. The only way to defeat that is love. Now remember Moses and Jesus I pointed to earlier. All of the things that we just saw in Psalm 37, we see them played out in their life. In Numbers 12, the story is like this. Moses, right, has uh, siblings, Miriam and Aaron, and they challenge his position in the community, which is like the worst thing he could do back then. And they basically call him out and say, you know what, your wife, she's terrible. She ain't good for you. And actually, we don't really like the fact that only God speaks to you, so you think you're all that. So they call him out publicly, they bring him out, and they bring shame upon him. And he should be so angry and so mad and go right back at them and say, how dare you, I'm the leader, you can be out. But what does Moses do? If you read the story in Numbers 12, that's not what he does. Moses does not get worked up, refuses to actually, and refuses to scheme, refuses to judge their motives, refuses to lash back, and refuses to get revenge. You'll see Moses rolling everything onto God because he knows that he's there because God placed him there, and he trusts God's authority to take care of all these things no matter what it may look like. That is real strength. What would happen in the world if men, Christian men, had real strength? That no matter how frustrating their homes or their wives or whatever it may be, did not use their strength and strike and abuse their wives, but indeed loved them and covered them. That's strength beyond what you can imagine. And of course, we see this played out in Jesus, and you know this. They falsely accuse him. They falsely arrest him. They spit on him. They hurl, in, they hurl insults at him. They place a crown of thorns on his head. They mock him. All the while, Jesus refuses to be nothing but the meek. He refuses to be a mirror of their actions. And rather, he doesn't do the easy thing, but rather he places it all on God and says otherwise. 1 Peter 2.23 says this, While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Throughout his life, Jesus, and especially in the most difficult of times, no matter the injustice, no matter the humiliation, no matter the hurt, no matter anything, he entrusts all of himself onto God. He rolls it onto God. He focuses on God. He chooses to do the godly thing, which is the will of God. And even in the end, as they're killing him, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Oh, to be so meek. 
I think this is why the Roman soldier who's at the foot of Jesus, who watched all this unfold, goes, surely this must be the Son of God. Because he, more than anyone else in the world, knows what power is. Because I guarantee you that man has stood above somebody with a spear and then literally jabbed it into his heart to kill him. He knows what it means to be meek and how much restraint it takes to actually love beyond all things. This is power. He saw it, and he knew that the one he was looking at was God because no one else could endure what Jesus did and act the way that he did. So now that you know what meekness means, and the second question is, why is this blessed, right? Well, for, for, uh, first and simply, as we've seen, it's because Jesus is the meek one, right? The meek one. As we've been saying, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you become like him. My professor says, embrace Jesus' embrace of us, and we begin to become like Jesus. Right? But deeper, right? The reason why meekness is blessed is because as the gospel breaks into our lives, you and I begin to discover a great and open secret to this life that we live on earth. Remember, all this happens because Jesus comes and he announces his gospel, that a revolution is happening, that it has begun. The old world order is collapsing in on itself, and the new world order is taking over. The old way of grabbing and pushing and domineering and killing and hurting is on its way out. If any of you history buffs are in here, right, you'll know. Study any empire, study any government, study any power, and none of the ones that grab, push, kill, and do nasty and evil things to get to the power, none of them last. And if you study all of them, you'll find out they all collapse, not because of anything, but because of their own greed and their evil. They collapse in on themselves. Their injustice is the thing that leads to their own demise. Types of kingdoms like this require so much energy to put up and to keep up. Empires built on greed eventually are consumed by their own greed. They will all fall by the same sword they used to grab and push in the first place. It's why a pathological liar who begins his life in a relationship in lies never wins. It always loses to more lies. I think those who've been grabbed by the gospel have seen the trailer to the movie, or best, even the spoiler. Those who read the gospel and understand the gospel and have met Jesus, spoiler alert, know how this ends and that the way of control, power, and all of that is weak, foolish, and temporary. It always has been and always will be. Again, watch the movies. If you watch the movies where the gangsters and the mobsters or whoever take control by their power and their guns and their violence or whatever, they all die by the same gun and the same violence. You'll see it every single time. And therefore, they never inherit the earth. Those who actually inherit this earth and this land are the ones who know how to be meek, who roll everything onto God and no matter what, do what God would have The meek are the ones who are really aligned with the way Jesus wants the world and designed the world to be. Blessed are you, the meek. Now, thirdly and lastly, how and then when do the meek inherit the earth? Now, the answer to this, one of them is simple. In the end, when Jesus brings his new heaven and new earth, 
If you've been here, if you were here with us going through Revelation, you know this. But also, I believe fully that we inherit the earth now. Now the question is then, okay, well, how, right? Well, uh, Psalm 37, interestingly, if you kind of read the whole thing and are, are kind of nerd like me and you, uh, or, uh, you analyze it, you'll realize that it's tied by a very simple phrase, inherit the earth. Verse 9, but those who wait for Yahweh, they will inherit the land. First, uh, verse 22, those who are blessed by him will inherit the land. Verse 29, the righteous will inherit the land. Verse 34, wait for Yahweh, keep his way, he will exalt you, inherit the land. Verse 11, the meek will inherit the land. In Psalm 37, the promise that the meek will inherit the earth is a rock-solid one. Because Jesus is the meek one, and he's going to want, he's going to definitely inherit the earth. But more, we, the meek, plural, will inherit the earth. But again, we face this question. It doesn't seem that way, Pastor Pete. It doesn't seem like that's the way it works. seems like, indeed, the nice guys finished last. It seems like, indeed, if I don't go and take and do all these things, that I won't get what I want. But I want you to ask yourself this very important question. Who are the people in your life and around you who really actually enjoy this world? And it's not the pushy or the grabby or the domineering, I promise. But you might say, well, Pastor Pete, they seem like they do. They do on YouTube, they do on social media, they do on Instagram. All the people who do those things, they indeed seem like they enjoy and have it all, but it's not actually always true. Interestingly, you'll find that depression, pain, and suicide are just as rampant in the rich and the famous than they are in the poor and the not famous. And actually the rich and the famous who are always grabbing and exploiting and pushing and domineering to get what they want, they're always preoccupied and consumed by how much more they can grab and demand and exploit. So they drive themselves. They never have actually any time to truly enjoy anything because all they're doing is pushing and grabbing and exploiting. How can you really enjoy something when you're, all you're worried about is how you can document it on a video? Anyone who builds their own kingdoms, climbing up their own ladders, seldom actually enjoy the earth the way it was meant to be enjoyed. My professor once taught me, he said, a controlling spirit eventually controls the spirit. But the meek, what I call the untouchable meek, they know, and for sure, they smell the roses along the way. They're not anxious. They trust. They can enjoy all the little moments. They can celebrate the little successes. The hurts and the pains, yes, they hurt, but they roll them onto God, and they're not anxious. Even when they mourn because they know the sin in the world, they're not hurting and painful in the way that you think the world is going to end. You know that the world is not going to be this way, but you mourn because you know that there's better. There's a difference. See, Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is Yahweh's and all that it contains, the world and, and those who dwell in it. This world, it belongs to the Lord. Everything is God's, which means it is yours and mine. Again, if you watch the movies, you'll hear the stories, right? If you, if you know the story Annie, it's the old, old, old musical. She's this orphan girl who gets adopted by this really rich guy. I, mean, I think his name is Daddy Warbucks or something like that. But the moment she gets adopted, it doesn't matter if you know the reference, the moment she gets adopted, guess what? She has everything that belonged to her daddy. It's the way it works with us. 
as God's adopted children, we have everything that belongs to God. It's why 1 Corinthians 3.22 says, all things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. To belong to Christ is to be granted the privilege and the honor of sharing life with him and living in his great place. To me, being, being God's son or God's daughter means that I get to go live in his great palace and go play in his backyard with all of his toys. Because everything that's his is ours to enjoy. Blessed are the meek. Now, I want to finish, and I don't like to talk about myself too much, but we're going to do it here just to finish, and the praise team can come up and uh, do this, and you don't have to go through it, but you can just walk up. I want to share with you a story, and I learned, and it was reinforced to me what meekness meant not too long ago. Unfortunately, uh, about a month ago, uh, after, or during praise practice, my laptop was stolen from my office. I bought a very shiny MacBook 27-inch, 15-inch uh, MacBook Pro 2017 because we edit videos and stuff, and then I bought it, and I thought it was going to be a good purchase, yada, yada, yada. Needless to say, a $2,500 computer got snatched. It was gone. Instantaneously, I had to figure out what happened, right? Security risks, blah, blah, blah. And so I went down to my office, and it was cracked open, and I, it was my fault. I had left the door open, and the laptop wasn't there. So in the next office, in Pastor Joseph's office, there was a couple of people meeting there. And so I knocked on the door, and I said, hey, uh, fellas, like, did you see anybody walking around here? And they're like, oh, yeah, I saw an African-American man a little while earlier. I thought he was like a janitor or something, so I just you know, kind of let him be, but he was in your office. So we have security cameras in the building, so I went to the security cameras, I looked up the footage, and this is basically what happened. You don't need to really know the story. He walked in, kind of looked around in the lobby, and then walked towards my office area, and then he was kind of back there. There's no camera that shows my office directly, but you can see him going into that area. And he's there for a little while, right? And then basically, um, one of the gentlemen that was in that meeting, he walks into that office area, he's meeting with Pastor Joseph, right? And uh, he's there, and apparently they interacted, he was like, they even said hello, whatever. And then, that guy then walks out, the, the, the guy who took my laptop, he then walks out, and you can see him in the lobby, he gets a drink of water, he goes into the preschool area, and then comes back, there are people cleaning, and the janitors are cleaning, and everything like that. And then as that happens, the, the guy that was waiting for Pastor Joseph for a meeting, he walks out to his car to get something, and then this gentleman saw that, and I guess presumably then walked back to the area, he was there for a little while, and then this man starts to walk back in, and then you see the guy, and then they pass by, and then in the back, you'll see the laptop in his hand, and that's the only thing he grabbed. So I did the thing, you know, report to police, yada, 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 blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. Now, after this, and I'm not upset at anybody, everyone and their mom had an opinion on what I should do and how I should behave to prevent things like this, blah, blah, blah. Now, the moment I opened up the security cameras and it was an African-American man, my heart sank. Because we're just being honest, all of us are very subversively racist to the core. And I thought about it, and then I prayed. And everyone told me, lock your office. Make sure you lock everything up. Make sure nobody comes in and takes any of the things that belong to us, the valuables. And then my heart sank, not because my laptop was gone, but because in that moment, the laptop didn't matter to me for whatever reason. Thanks be to God for the gospel in my heart. But the laptop didn't matter to me. But what mattered was that we had a man and we had to do something because people had to know. Senior pastor had to know. Other people had to know because, indeed, we have to be aware. Now, as I, the more and more I looked at the footage, an overwhelming sense of pain overtook my heart. Because this man 
walked into our church and spent a good solid 15 minutes and not a single person said hi to him. How can we help you? Is there something that you need? Do you know Jesus? None of that was done and there are people in the building. And everyone told me, the police officer told me, are you going to press charges? And I said, no. I had many of you, some of you who heard the story asked me, what would you do if you saw him in the street? You know, you saw his face on the camera. And then this one story, and again, I apologize. My wife is by far one of the most beautiful human beings, if not the most beautiful human being I know on earth. But we have this amazing relationship where we get to correct each other and do all these things. So in the teacher's meeting, I was telling this story. And the more and more I thought about it, the more and more I prayed, the more and more I anguished about the fact that this man walked into our church and didn't get a single hello or a warm hug or anything, more I was convinced that he came in not looking to steal anything, but just coming in to find someone to talk to or, uh, or, you know, like a drink or food. We get people who are unfortunate or less privileged who walk into our churches all the time looking for these things. And he saw a brand new shiny laptop and couldn't resist. And so I was telling this story in the teacher's lounge. And I was telling this to all the teachers. And as I was telling the story, I said, and I, as you know, I speak very loud, and I said, um, so this happened, yada, yada, yada. In my opinion, this man was a homeless man. And then my wife wanted to interject to say he was wearing nice clothes, and I shut her up instantaneously, and I used that purpose. And I said, uh. A couple of days later, she said, honey, I don't appreciate when you call me out in front of people like that because it's not nice. And then I said, I don't appreciate the fact that you try to demean a man that you don't know and that you don't know the motives of, making him look out to be the criminal or the villain so that everyone can place all their evil and all their pain and all their hurt on him. I said to her, he's done enough violence to his own soul. We don't need to do more to it. What would have happened if he walked into our church, if every single person who walked into our building heard the gospel got a hug, or whatever the case might be. The gospel alive in me did not allow me to get angry and face evil with evil. It taught me to be meek. So I prayed for him. I prayed for my wife. I prayed for all of us. That when a man walks into our building, no matter what his color, no matter what his ethnicity, no matter what he looks like, he was wearing jeans and like a floral Hawaiian shirt. Apparently that doesn't make him homeless or any unfortunate. Apparently that makes him a good man or a regular man who just came in here to steal, apparently. But the meek, they roll everything onto God. They love their enemies. They pray for those who persecute them. They love the people who hurt them. They pray, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. That's meekness. It's real strength. It's what we need in the church. Blessed are they, for they inherit the land. My mind has not thought once about the laptop that was lost. I just bought a new one. And thanks be to God that I have the funds to be able to do so. It did not matter to me. My prayer today still is that that man would somehow, maybe stupidly, walk into this building that I would get to meet him face to face so I can give him a hug and say, do you know the Lord? Take whatever you want in here. But if you walk out of here with salvation, that's the only thing that matters to me. Blessed are the meek, for they and only they will inherit the earth. So whether you're a person who can't get angry or you're a person who only gets angry, ask yourself, 
what would it be if the gospel was alive in me and I could be so meek? Because indeed, now and forever, you will inherit the earth and enjoy every moment. So you take some time as we get ready to sing, as we get ready to respond, and say, Lord, would you give me this gospel? May I repent and believe and know that you are true and you are good. No matter what, I will do the godly thing, come what may, trusting you that you are my God and I am yours. So you take a moment to just pray and then we'll respond in song.